So several years ago when I was a youth pastor, we had a young lady in our church who brought a friend with her to church. Now this friend was an exchange student from somewhere in Eastern Europe. And so before the service began, this, uh, this girl from our church brings her friend over to meet her youth pastor. And y'all, this European teenager was staring at me like I was from outer space. I mean, the look on her face. <laughs> and she looks at me, and I reach out my hand to introduce myself and to welcome her to church. She just seemed utterly confused. And the only thing she could say to me was, you look nothing like a priest. And I, you know, I kind of laughed about it in that moment, but I, it, I, you know, I recognized that for this young lady, her entire view of the church had been built on Catholic faith and practice. And so in her mind, a leader in the church would be dressed in the very fancy vestments, you know, the robe with the gold and, and you know, maybe, you know, swinging lantern in his hand and incense and speaking in Latin, praying in Latin, those kind of things. And I just looked nothing like that. Here I was in my, you know, my outlet mall clothing and you know, I could barely speak English, let alone Latin. And uh, I, I, I realized in that moment, of course, I only had 15 seconds with her. I couldn't explain to her the difference as to why I was a pastor and not a priest and why that mattered to us. But it encouraged me personally to go back and make sure that I understood the difference, that I could answer the question, okay, why is it that we don't have priests? Why is it that I'm a pastor rather than a priest? And not so much even in the Catholic or Protestant sense of the terms, but when I look at my Bible, when I read through my Bible, especially the Old Testament, priests are all over the place. It's clearly a, a prominent part of God's relationship with his people, the role, the office of the priest. You can't read through the Old Testament, especially beginning in Exodus. You just can't do it without seeing how essential the priest is as a mediator between God and the people. But we don't have them anymore, so something's changed. What's changed? And I wonder if you could answer that question. Why is it that here at Harvest Church, for instance, we don't have a priest who stands uh, in between you and God. Well, we're going to look today, at least partly, at the story of a man named Aaron. And if you know Aaron in the Bible, you probably know him as Moses' brother. If you remember Moses, when God called him at the burning bush, Moses' great excuse was, I can't speak. I can't speak in a way that people would listen and follow me. And God was, uh, was very much bothered by Moses' hesitation in this way. But God said, okay, listen, I'll send Aaron, your brother, with you. He'll speak on your behalf. And, of course, Aaron is there with Moses as they uh, go to Pharaoh in Egypt and appeal to Pharaoh to let the people go so that they can be free to worship their God. Aaron's there in, uh, through the Passover and the parting of the Red Sea. Aaron's very much a prominent part of the story. Well, Later on, and maybe for us a little bit less recognizable, is Aaron's role as the priest. Aaron becomes the first priest that God establishes and the first high priest, which was, as I said, a very important part of the narrative. Okay, now this is not just Bible trivia, by the way, to know who Aaron is and what he did. This is actually essential for us to understand the nature of our faith. Because the truth is, y'all, I'm not a priest but you sure need one, and so do I. And we're going to see, I hope today, why, as we look at Aaron, a shadow, and Jesus, the substance, okay? So concerning Aaron and the priesthood, let me just give us a little groundwork as to why uh, God chose Aaron and what for. This is Exodus chapter 28, beginning in verse 1. God is speaking to Moses. 
He says, then bring near to yourself Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the sons of Israel to minister as priest to me. Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, Aaron's sons, you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful persons whom I have endowed with the spirit of wisdom that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him that he may minister as priest to me. Okay, so in the context of the bigger story, the law was given already, the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20. Right now, God is establishing what's called the tabernacle or the tent of meeting. As the people of Israel travel out of Egypt and eventually to the promised land, they are going to keep the tabernacle, the tent among them, and that's going to be the central place of worship and of God's uh, a revealed presence, okay? the physical place where God is going to dwell, the tabernacle. Okay? And there at the tabernacle and within, the priests are going to minister to God. So we see right away, this is a very special office. God's not making this up as he goes. This is important. Aaron, the first priest, and his sons with him, they're going to wear very fine and costly garments that will consecrate them, which means to be set apart for a special purpose by God. They're consecrated. Now, if you read through Exodus 28, you can see all the vestments, the fancy garments that God calls them to wear because that's going to reflect something of God. Aaron and the priests are not going to look like everybody else. They're going to look special because God is glorious and holy, and they are meant to reflect that about the nature of God. And then at the end of Exodus 28, we realize why this is so important. Why all the vestments? Why the priests? This is Exodus 28, verse 40. God continues to speak. He says, For Aaron's sons you shall make tunics, you shall make sashes for them, and you shall make caps for them for glory and for beauty. You shall put them on Aaron, your brother, and on his sons with him, and you shall anoint them and ordain them and consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. You shall make for them linen breeches to cover their bare flesh, and they shall reach from the loins even to the thighs. They shall be on Aaron and on his sons when they enter the tent of meeting or when they approach the altar to minister in the holy place so that they do not incur guilt and die. It shall be a statute forever to him and to his descendants after him. So it's not just that God likes fancy clothes. We get a sense here of the ministry of the priests and why it's so vital and so necessary. God is saying something about himself. God is perfectly holy. God is set apart in all his purity and his righteousness. He's perfect. And so sinners like us, sinners like the people of Israel, can't simply enter into the presence of God willy-nilly. We don't just show up in God's presence, all right? Because we are sinners and God is pure. And so God, rather than, than God denying his own nature by simply ignoring our sin, sweeping it under the rug, no. In order for God to remain holy among sinners, God institutes a priesthood. People who will stand for the people in between them and God for the sake of his glory and his holiness so that God, instead of forsaking or destroying sinners in their impurity, God would draw near to them instead. See, this is the heart of God. And this is, y'all, this is important for us because God's, God's holiness, his glory, his perfection have not changed somehow or been diminished. He's every bit as holy as he always was. 
But God in His holiness does not desire to push us away. His desire is to draw near. God loves us. He loves His people. And so this is the purpose of the priesthood and the tabernacle, is that there would be mediation and in-between so that a holy God could relate to unholy people. Okay? And we see this in, in Exodus 29, verse 43. God continues to speak here. He says, I will meet there the tabernacle with the sons of Israel, and it shall be consecrated by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. I will also consecrate Aaron and his sons to minister as priests to me. I will dwell among the sons of Israel and will be their God. They shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. See, it's God's heart to be with his people, not apart from them. And so the tabernacle and the priesthood, God's way of creating a, a, a closeness, presence, relationship, in spite of the divide between his perfection and our sin. And so if we speak very generally about what's going on here, how is it that a holy God can come close to people like me, to unholy people? He makes a way. He creates a system of mediation. That's a word we still used uh, among, you know, uh, in, in, uh, in the, the language of law. Mediation, a building of a bridge, someone to stand in between. And so the priests are there now to minister to the people, to make sacrifices for the atonement of sin, to stand between God and the people so that the people's sin may not prohibit them from knowing God and drawing near to him. Well, that, that is a very gracious provision on God's part. We may not understand it. Certainly, it's not our own lived experience. The tabernacle and the priesthood and the sacrifices, we know nothing of that personally. But I hope you see that that was not uh, God's way of stifling the people. It was God's way of drawing near. It was God's way of graciously providing for them. And it's especially gracious when we think about who the priests were. Y'all, the priests were not some elite level of humanity, high above the rest of us. They were sinners too. And if you're familiar with the stories of Aaron, my goodness, Aaron was a mess. Aaron oversaw the whole golden calf episode, if you know that story. One of the most heinous and ridiculous sins in all the Bible. And Aaron was right there on the front lines of it. Aaron, along with his sister Miriam, eventually rose up and tried to, uh, to overthrow Moses and rebel against his leadership. Moses, uh, Aaron was a sinner, plain and simple. But that was, not, that was not God's demand upon Aaron that he be perfect in order to establish him as priest. In fact, that was part of the point, that Aaron was a sinner too. Now, if you had your finger in Hebrews 5, now's the time to turn over, okay? Because Hebrews tells us something about Aaron and the nature of the priesthood. Very important. Hebrews 5.1, for every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently the priest can, with the ignorant and misguided, since he himself also is beset with weakness. And because of it, he's obligated to offer sacrifices for sins, as for the people, so also for himself. And no one takes the honor to himself, but receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. 
So Aaron is the first high priest, but he was not the only high priest. Of course, Aaron dies, and God raises up another high priest after him, and there's a succession. There's always a high priest standing for Israel, but there were a great many because they were temporary. They were human beings. They lived and they died, but they all had the exact same problem, and it's the problem we just read about. Every high priest was beset with weakness and with sin. And so, y'all, if we, if we frame the, the issue maybe like this, what was happening in, in the system of sacrifice that God instituted for his people? Well, you've got a sinful high priest who brings an imperfect sacrifice, the blood of an animal, maybe a, a lamb or a goat or a bull. And that sacrifice is given to make temporary atonement for sinners before a perfect and holy God. And that word atonement, y'all, that word means to cover. And so the sins of the people would be temporarily covered by the sacrifice that God accepted by the hands of the high priest. Now, again, that's an amazing work of God's mercy. That rather than forsaking sinners as we deserve, God would still make provision for us. It's wonderful. But surely we can see the problem with it. I mean, there's a lot of problems with the way, not, not there aren't problems in God, there's no defect in God, but when God instituted this, he gave it only as a shadow, not as the ultimate substance. And so if you start to ask questions about this process, about the meaning of it and the sufficiency of it, it begins to trouble us. I mean, think about this. Three questions that came to my mind this week as I thought about it. Imagine yourself in Old Testament Israel here and, and you're, you're entrusting your sacrifices to the high priest for atonement. Okay, how can I be sure that the sacrifice really is sufficient for a sinner like me when I sin so much? And that's a depressing question to ask of ourselves, but if we know our own hearts, we can be honest to say, I sin every single day. I sin in ways I don't even recognize, in ways I'm not even conscious of. I've forgotten more sins than I can ever count. And so how can I know that sacrifices made on my behalf, the blood of an animal, is really going to be sufficient to cover me when I'm such a sinful person to begin with? Question number one. Question number two. How confident can I really be in this high priest? If he's a sinner just like me, can he really mediate for me? Can he really stand between me? Who's to say he's not a worse sinner than I am? If he, if he shares the same nature that I do, how can I know and trust that his unclean hands can bring a sacrifice sufficient to cover me? Third question, how are things ever going to change for me? Or is, just this, is this just the way it's going to be forever? A constant cycle of sin and sacrifice. I'm never really getting any better. I'm not sure if I'm ever really growing any closer to God. I just keep up the cycle to make sure I don't get smoked. You think somebody in Israel ever wondered that for themselves? How are things ever going to change? How am I ever going to become something different than what I am? Well, here's the good news. God answers all those questions for us, and he answers them in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. So if we, if we come back to that first question we asked, why don't we have priests anymore? Why don't, we, why, why don't we have a high priest like we did in the Old Testament? Someone to stand up for us in the presence of God. You know, the answer is not, well, you know, God finally realized it just it wasn't you know, a very efficient way to handle his business. You know, God, God realized this isn't really sustainable. 
for me to continue to require so much work, so much effort, so many animals on behalf of the people. So God just decided, let's, let's do away with that whole system, and, I, and I'll just forgive them. And I'll just, I'll just wink at their sin and let them slide. Right? No. Because we're reminded of the fact that God is not less holy than he used to be. He can't ignore or deny our sinfulness somehow. No. Only if God grants to us a greater substance and not the shadow. Only if God says, I will appoint a perfect high priest, a final high priest, who will then make the perfect and final sacrifice on our behalf. Only then will things change. Only then are those questions fully answered. And I've already asked you to turn to Hebrews, okay? This is, if you've ever read through Hebrews, you know that this is the sticking point of this great book in the New Testament. There's no more powerful word on what we're talking about than right here. And I really, I'd encourage you, if you've got an hour this week, make an hour and read through the book of Hebrews. It may not even take you that long. If you really want to, I mean, if you need the Cliffs Notes, okay, if, you, if you're strapped for time, read chapters 5 through 9. I'll let you slide, okay? Chapters 5 through 9, you'll be okay. You'll get the gist. But if you take a look at Hebrews, what you find, we're just going to look at the highlights here today, but what you find is a definition of the person and work of Jesus Christ that maybe we're less familiar with. We talk about him all the time as our Savior, as our Lord. Oh my goodness, yes. But Hebrews so often refers to Jesus as our high priest. And and the importance of this cannot be overstated. Jesus Christ is the substance for which Aaron was only a shadow. And we see in Hebrews how Jesus fulfills a priestly ministry for us. So come back with me. I asked three very haunting questions of us just a moment ago. And I want to show you how Jesus gives an answer to all three. How is it, question number one, that temporary atonement, temporary covering, is really going to cure my constant issue of sin? How can sacrifices made with animals' blood really save me if I'm sinning constantly? Well, of course, the answer is they can't. But there is a sacrifice that can. Look at Hebrews 7, verse 23. We're told that the former priests, like Aaron, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. One priest died, another was raised up to take his place. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. See, Jesus died, yes, but he was also raised. And because Jesus is resurrected, the scripture says he now lives forever. We just read that. He lives forever, and so he holds his priesthood permanently. He is a priest forever. That means that his mediation, his standing between, never ends. It has no terminus. It has no expiration date. Jesus is always, moment by moment, applying his grace and his mercy to those who trust him, even right now. that's, That's what it means, what we just read, that Jesus always lives to make intercession for us that if if you have faith in Jesus Christ, then each and every second, right now where you sit, this very moment, 
and for each and every sin you commit. His grace is being applied to you. His grace is being poured out on you. The one sin for all work Jesus accomplished on the cross when he shed his blood for sins is constantly being applied. The grace that he's given us is not a bygone, past tense grace, but ever present. That's why what we just read is something we can be certain of, that Jesus Christ is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him. It's not a temporary covering that you are granted as a Christian. It's not that God uh, gives you a, a longer leash covering a limited number of sins and you've got to come back later to receive more. No. He is your priest forever, having made atonement for all your sin once and for all. Y'all, that's true even of the sins you haven't yet committed. It's, a, it's, a, it's very wrong for me to think that when I became a Christian, Jesus forgave me of all the sins prior, but now it's up to me to be good enough to merit God's favor, to keep up the good work Jesus started. That's just wrong. Every single sin, y'all, we don't love our sin. We're, we're meant to, to, to consider ourselves dead to sin, to live in it no longer. But if we know our own heart, you know you're, you're going to sin tomorrow, okay? And the next day, and the next day, me too. Jesus' work on the cross is applied even to those sins that have not yet come. Otherwise, he couldn't save you forever. He could only save you up through today. He always lives to make intercession for you. Y'all, that is a wonderful, wonderful grace. The temporary nature of the covering in Christ is now permanent and complete. Okay, what about the second question? What about the priest himself? Remember, if, if the priest is a sinner, how can I really be truly confident that he can stand in my place and on my behalf? Look at Hebrews 7, verse 26 now, the very next verse. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, Jesus, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, because this Jesus did once for all, when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints a son made perfect forever. We see what, what I keep saying when I say that the Old Testament priesthood was a shadow. God's provision of the priests, of the sacrifices, of the tabernacle, all of that was a temporary means of mercy looking ahead to a promised time when God would appoint his own son to serve in those ways, to be the fulfillment. And so we, we saw a minute ago the length of our atonement in Christ. It's forever. He's able to save forever those who draw near to God through him. Well, right here we see the depth of our atonement, that we have a perfect forgiveness, not mediated by a fellow sinner, and y'all, I've said this before. If I, if I came to God for you, as the priest did in the old days, you, would, you wouldn't sleep well tonight, and nor should you, if I was coming to God on your behalf. Because you may think I'm great 
but you know I'm just like you. I hope you do. No, a fellow sinner is not the one standing on our behalf here. God Himself stands. Jesus, who is holy and innocent and undefiled, did not have to make atonement for His own sins first, as the high priest did. He had no sins for which to atone. His sacrifice is perfect because He is perfect. And so the depth of our atonement is perfect. It's secure. It's not lacking in any way because Jesus has made it. And then finally, this third question. Speaking of sacrifice, we just read it. I hope you caught it. Jesus, what was his sacrifice? Jesus offered up himself. Not the blood of a goat goat or a bull or a lamb. And, And this is the most stunning thing of all, I feel like. This is the most amazing truth we encounter here. Let's remember that under the Old Covenant, a sinful priest enters a man-made tabernacle with the blood of an animal. That's a shadow. That's not the complete picture. That's not the substance. God never meant for it to be. Now something better has come. Hebrews 9, the last scripture we'll look at. Hebrews 9, verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, He entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation. Jesus did not enter into the tabernacle or the temple. He entered into heaven itself, Hebrews 9 tells us, into the pure and perfect presence of God the Father. Verse 12, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. So Jesus does what no high priest could ever do. He doesn't come with the blood of an animal. He sheds his own blood. He doesn't offer up a lesser or temporary substitute to give covering for our sin. Jesus gave himself as a true substitute in our place that he might grant us eternal redemption, not temporary covering, but eternal salvation. Y'all, when, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, if you're familiar with the, the, the narratives uh, in the Gospels, in Matthew in particular, Matthew tells us that the moment of Jesus' death, something um, strange and miraculous happened. The curtain in the temple was torn in half from top to bottom. No human being could have done it from top to bottom, signifying that it was a divine work of God. That was the curtain or the veil that separated the holiest part of the temple from the rest. The holiest place, which held the Ark of the Covenant and the Ten Commandments and Aaron's staff and these these relics that were so very precious concerning the very presence of God and all his glory and his holiness and his goodness, and nobody was allowed in that room. The high priest could come one day a year with blood, the day of atonement, to make sacrifice for the people. One day a year, only him. That's how holy the holy place was. And when Jesus Christ dies in our place for the forgiveness of our sins, God himself tears the curtain in half. And the symbolism is meant to drop us to the floor. That God in his holiness is now allowing sinners like us in. Not by the blood of an animal. Not by by any temporary covering, 
of what we've done that will need to be repeated year after year, but by the blood of his own son, Jesus Christ, who sacrificed himself as our high priest. He sheds his own blood for our sins. The curtain is torn into the holy place of God is now opened up to us because eternal redemption has been won. Now a sinner like me and like you may come to God without fear of destruction, without fear of condemnation, without fear of incurring guilt that I, that I dared to enter into his presence. No, because we have a great high priest who gave himself as the perfect sacrifice for all our sins. We now draw near to God through him, and he embraces us as a father. Now, I asked this earlier. If you, and somehow, if you could imagine yourself in, in Old Testament Israel making these sacrifices time after time, year after year, is there any hope for me to change? Is this ever going to change? Or is the cycle simply what it is? Sin, despair, guilt, and sacrifice. Rinse and repeat. Well, there's an answer to that, of course. And the answer comes in Christ. Hebrews 9, verse 13. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now that's a very powerful question. The cleansing of your conscience, how is it that Jesus cleanses your conscience from dead works, from your sin, so that you may serve the living God? And the answer is here. It's that Jesus Christ is your high priest. He is your substitute. Y'all, listen. If you trust in Jesus, your sins have not simply been covered over. They've been taken away. And that's not semantics. Your sins have not been covered over. They've been taken away. They've been removed and are remembered no more. And so the old way of sacrifice, of course, it couldn't cleanse your conscience. It couldn't change your heart. It was simply a, a way of God providing mediation, a way for God to cover temporarily. But no, if you are in Christ now, the scripture says you're not just covered until next year or until next Sunday. No, in Christ, you are a new creation. You've been born again. God's promise is that he has given you by faith a new heart and put a new spirit in you. You're really new. And so, y'all, this may not be your own lived experience, but I want to tell you, if you are a Christian, you ought to have a clean and clear conscience. Not because you're perfect, but because your high priest is. Because your Savior is perfect. Your conscience is not built upon what you have done, good or bad, either denying your access to God or earning it. Neither of those are true any longer in Christ Jesus. Our sins have been forgiven. Even our good works could never measure up. And so the perfect sacrifice was made for you and for me. That ought to clear your conscience. Because your standing before God is built on nothing less 
than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And so if you serve God from a new heart, from a clear conscience, it's because your Savior has stood in your place. You are now consecrated. You're set apart by God for a special purpose because you are now his son or his daughter by faith. Y'all, that means practically, practically, you and I no longer live in an endless cycle of sin and guilt and sacrifice for forgiveness. Jesus has made once and for all the final sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice in the giving of himself so that you may live free, free from sin, free from guilt, free now to serve the living God because he has sincerely made you free. He's made you new. Jesus doesn't just cancel out the record against you. He gives you a new heart. You can actually be different now. The cycle has been broken. Things really are different. And so, y'all, I, let me, it just, if it wasn't obvious already, no, we don't have priests at Harvest Church, and we never will. That's not going to be our 2023 vision here in a few months. We're going to institute the priesthood all over again. That stuff probably weighed 80 pounds. Um, we're never going back. And praise God, we don't have to. Because the true and final high priest has come. The true and final sacrifice has been made. And therefore, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him. And so that's my heart, my hope. I'm going to appeal to us this morning that we would do just that. That we would look away from ourselves. Look away from our sin, which denies us God's favor. Look away even from your own good efforts that you feel like may earn your favor. All that is in us, we look away. And instead, we look only to Christ. And if we have faith in our high priest who has stood in the gap for us, who has made the sacrifice of himself on our behalf, then we may look to him and truly forever we may be saved. So let's pray. Father, would you give us, I pray this morning, a deeper sense of the priesthood of Jesus Christ and how important it is, how necessary And I pray, Father, you'd help us to see that in no way have you ever um, downgraded your holiness so that you could draw close to sinners. You have never sacrificed your own righteousness and purity to make room for us. You are altogether perfect. And Lord, because you are altogether perfect, we, we required an altogether perfect Savior, a high priest, one who could go between and minister on our behalf. And Lord, in your mercy and love, you've provided him. You've given us Jesus. And so I pray, help us to see this morning, we do need a priest. <laughs> and we've got one. And he stands as our priest even now, applying his grace to us to meet every need, to forgive every sin, to keep us standing forever in his good grace. Father, will you, I pray you would help us this morning uh, realize this gift that we've been given. And that we would gladly come to Jesus, that we would sincerely look away from us, look away from our performance, our, our, any attempt we have to, to dress ourselves up in your eyes, to make ourselves 
better or, or more worthy, Lord. We can't. And so I pray instead, Lord, that we'd look to your provision, your gift. And Lord, make us to be overwhelmed with joy and gladness and security and assurance and certainty. We are saved forever. He is making intercession for me right now. He loves us. And he's given himself for us. Father, would you help us uh, this, this morning, all by your grace, to truly live like we believe it. To live with a clear conscience, Lord, knowing full well what we really are, knowing what we've done, and yet we're clean. Because once for all, the sacrifice has been made. We have Jesus Christ. We are forever free. I pray that we would live free, that we would live free from sin, free from guilt, free from all condemnation. Free now also to share this grace that we've been given. That the world may know that Jesus has come. Father, thank you. Thank you. Let, all of our, let everything we are, Lord, sing in response and praise with gratitude for the Son you've given us, Lord, our true and our final High Priest. And we praise you for him in his holy, awesome, and merciful name. Amen.